Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. The Mighty Sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom Three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast here at 495 Union. I'm Mark Giannato, the sports columnist at the Commercial Appeal. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. We have reached the bye week. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, considering what uh, <laughs> Memphis football's done lately. Uh, they lost their third for the third time in four games and their second in a row at Missouri this past week. They enter the bye four and four. I think they're better than four and four. But as uh, I think it was Bill Parcells who said, you know, you are what your record is. And this team is four and four and not necessarily headed in the right direction in terms of wins and losses, in terms of just overall play. I mean, this Missouri game was, you know, essentially the second half was meaningless. They kind of got that end of that first half and the beginning of the game really cost Memphis and they end up losing 65-33 in a game that just wasn't that close. Um and they've got a lot of issues to to solve here during the bye week. The defense did not look good at all against Missouri and really has had some issues as this season has gone along. You know, we expected it to be better and statistically it is better, but I think situationally it's w- much worse than last year. It's not creating turnovers. Brady White again had, you know, a very up and down performance, had some nice throws, um but also had two interceptions for the first time and and just in general is not, you know, doesn't look like a guy who's who's ready to win a game by himself. And then Daryl Henderson gets hurt in this game, doesn't play most of it, although it does look like he'll be back after the bye. So just a lot of things to solve. Mike Norvell was pretty adamant that he is very confident that this team will rebound. He said he's he's he, he believes in this team is what he said to me when I asked him if he was concerned at all. And when you look at the schedule, I think he has reason to believe that things can end on a high note. The schedule is not difficult the next three games, but at the same time, I don't really know what it will mean if Memphis wins these next three games. I don't know if it'll tell us that they're improved or not. I think it'll tell us that the competition is not very good, but if they can look really good doing it, you know, that's something to consider. Evan, what, what are your thoughts going into the bye week. What has this team done well? What does this team need to get better at? What What are your observations of now that we're eight weeks into the season? I think about what you said about this defense. And before the year, we were told that this defense was the best defense Mike Novell had during his tenure. And they had experienced at eight returning starters. We thought this defense was going to be really, really strong. And even with the injuries, there was still hope that they would be a defense that would look much better. And since that Navy game, they have gotten worse and worse in different ways. And I think that Missouri game was just the rock bottom, as I called it. So I think that was the biggest surprise, not the biggest surprise, but just my biggest concern is just this defense looks like it's either broken or they're just right now 
at a point where they need to figure out what they are because they're not forcing turnovers. They're giving up yards. And for a defense that prided itself on forcing turnovers, if you're not getting those and you're giving up yards, it's not good. So I feel like if you're Chris Ball, you have a lot of questions to figure out this week because Missouri just laid it all bare, in my opinion. Well, here's we should point this out. This is actually statistically the best defense Memphis has had under Mike Norvell. Um, they're 75th in the country in total defense right now. Um, they were 116 or 117 last year, and they're 106 in 2016. The difference is those two years, they were among the top five in the country in creating turnovers. Right. And this unit is not creating turnovers. And so, and then, like I said in the open, situationally, that's really what concerns me. For the second week in a row, they get burned on a fourth and one, and then against Missouri, the very next play, a tight end just runs wide open down the seam for a touchdown. And they gave up six plays of at least 40 yards in this game. And, and afterwards, Curtis Aikens, you know, he took the bullet for the, as, as the players um, saying they didn't execute the calls that were made. And it wasn't, he, he specifically said, you know, it wasn't about what the coaches called. It was about what we did as players. And I think that's admirable of Curtis to do that. My only question is, though, is when you look up and down this defense, who on this defense has gotten better? That that would be my question and why I would say the focus needs to be a little bit on the coaching in that you look at the secondary, and and they've dealt with injuries. Laundre Thomas had an encouraging start and hasn't played since the second game of the year. Right, That's been a big blow. Tito Windham didn't, has been nicked up, didn't play this past week. But T.J. Carter does not look like the T.J. Carter of last year. Austin Hall does not look as good as last year. Curtis Aikens, you know, probably about the same. Tim Hart does not look as dynamic as last year. Um, they've developed a nice player in Bryce Huff. The D-line continues to struggle to generate much of a pass rush. That really is my concern is that, and, and, and what Curtis said reminded me of last year in that, you know, one of the issues with the 2016 defense and what, what Chris Ball said he addressed was like it was a little too complicated and he simplified things. Well, it doesn't sound like it's very simplified if these guys are having trouble executing the calls you're making eight games into the year. That's an issue, especially with a defense that, quite frankly, has a lot of guys who have played a lot at this point. And so it's something that needs to be addressed going forward. Like, I, I want to see this defense play better these last three or four games because they don't currently have an offense like last year that's going to be able to cover up the fact that you have a poor defense. This, you know... This defense needs to be among it should be, should have should be among the top fifty in the country, given its personnel. And right now it's seventy fifth, and I think it might trend further down because you have to consider the fact that, especially passing wise, you know they've already played Navy and Tulane, so that kind of you know it, it'll be interesting to see where they end up at the end of the year, uh, especially if they don't start forcing more turnovers. Right, and I'm curious in, in your mind, do you think much of this is because of them playing a team like Missouri with? an NFL caliber quarterback and drew lock and that tight end who just was a matchup problem. Or do you think it highlights? Well, that guy wasn't a matchup problem. He was wide open. I mean, he's a good player and he's an NFL player, but he like, he was wide open. I can't pronounce his last name, but the Missouri tight end who scored three touchdowns. I mean, it wasn't like he was making these unbelievable Gronkowski catches and runs. He was open and you know, it was a breakdown in defensive coverage. Um, and so I, I do think, you know, in like that UCF game, they actually played okay. They played really well in the first half. Right. But again, I said situationally, like you look at, la- like, like they're almost like the opposite of last year. 
last year they gave up a bunch of yards, but in big moments, the defense would come through the end. I'm thinking the end of the UCLA game, they come up with a big pick, a couple big turnovers, the Navy. end, yeah, the Navy game last year, um, the Houston game in the second half when, you know, they, they, you know, they gave up some yards, but then in big moments, they came through this year. It's been the opposite. They've had some pretty good games, but like even the Navy game, which you pointed to as kind of the highlight of the year. I mean, when they needed to get a stop at the end of the game, they couldn't get it. And, you know, you look at the UCF game, same thing, second half, they couldn't get a stop when they needed to. And in fact, gave up, you know, again, another, what Mike has called a sort of blown assignment on that fourth and one against UCF. But, you know, again, like we're not talking about a lot of freshmen who are playing on this defense. These are guys who have played a lot of snaps. So that, that to me is concerning that they're missing and blowing assignments. And then the Missouri game was kind of everything breaking down into, you know, it was just the culmination of the struggles, but like this defense didn't play well against South Alabama either. No. You know, this defense hasn't didn't play, you know, they gave up a touch. They let UConn march right down the field on them to start the game, you know, a and few Georgia, weeks ago, Georgia state, they ran on them pretty well. So, I mean, this defense and Tulane obviously, you know, had a field day on them. So like yeah. it, you know, that's concerning. It, it really is now. And the reason I think it's more concerning this year than past years is because the offense isn't as good. And there's been a lot of focus on Brady White, and you know, I think rightfully so. I don't know. I question whether he is. I, I wrote this in my column. You know, is he the long-term answer at quarterback? I don't think you're going to see a quarterback change this year, but I think Mike would be what's the word naive not to bring in, try and bring in some more competition for brady next year especially once david now that david moore left and i think the spring will be very interesting to see just kind of how if brady mcbride does take that leap as marquevion quinn if he's when he gets healthy from this acl does he push brady brady wide a little bit more um this new quarterback they're coming in bringing in i think sheldon Lamb, who's a three-star recruit i mean they're gonna have guys who will push a little bit more and i think for brady he has to base i'm not saying he's playing for his job but i think he will get pushed in the spring where he can't just walk in thinking well I started all last year. These next four games are really important for him in terms of, and for the program. Cause I think if you, you know, I think, you know, you look at it, it's like told I think I wrote it. It's like the combined record of the teams they've left is like six and 18, something like that right now. I mean, Tulsa is not good. Oh, East Carolina is not good. SMU three and four, a little fight. They beat Tulane. So like, obviously that I think that SMU game is kind of a toss up on the road. I think this team should beat, Tulane and ECU to get bowl eligible. And then the Houston game at the end of the year, obviously is it's a home game. But like, to me, if you can win your last four and then win a bowl game that salvages everything to me, it's like, you know, yes, it, it, it wouldn't, maybe they don't win the West division. I know there's still an outside shot that they could, if they went out, but if you go nine and four with a bowl win and essentially win your last five to me, that, that you can, you can point to this season as a building block and a positive season. If it's, if it's seven and five, say you, say you beat, you go three and one and then win the bowl game, maybe, but anything less than that, I think is going to be a real disappointment. And already, I think some people would view it already as a disappointment because they're four and four at this point. So that's why it's just this, this end of the stretch will color how we remember this season. And I think it will color how we remember Brady White. His stats are great. You know, DeMont, him, DeMonte Coxie, Daryl Henderson, they're all like way up there in the AAC. But I think if you watch the games in the four losses that Memphis has had, Brady White has not played well. 
And that's been the common link is that if you look at his numbers, his worst passing numbers have been all in losses, I believe. So I'd be very curious, like you said, how does he respond? How do these receivers really improve? Because honestly, you know, you mentioned Coxie, but who's the number two wide receiver? Is it Tony Pollard? I mean, and granted, Tony Pollard has done well, but where are these other guys who are coming back? They haven't really played really well. And as I looked at the stats, I think Pollard and Henderson are your third and fourth leading receivers on Memphis. That's not a good recipe for success. You need other well, guys. Pollard was a second leading receiver last year. And, and Okay, so that's good. But I mean, if Pollard's your number two, that's cool. But you have other guys who have been here who should be ready to contribute more, and they haven't really stepped up well either. So my concern is, even if Brady White does play a little bit better, can these receivers consistently show that they can bring something to the table? Because obviously, they're not making plays. What's Brady White going to do? So I think it's on both of them. I feel like the receivers and Brady White have to play better. Otherwise, Daryl Henderson, God bless, is going to be facing eight, nine in the box every game the rest of the way. Well, I think he is no matter what. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, and what I'm concerned about with Daryl is Mike didn't say this. And then this is, so this is probably speculate, uh, officially speculation on my part, but Daryl didn't look right to start that game. I think, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he got nicked up or he was nicked up entering a game after he carried the ball 30 times against UCF. And that was kind of the knock on him a year ago was that, and and part of the re and I think why devil's advocate to people like me who were saying, get the ball to Daryl, get the ball to Daryl, get the ball to Daryl is his durability. I think is something of a question mark in some people's minds. And I, you know, I asked Mike, I go, was the, he, Mike said, Mike has not officially said what the injury is that Daryl has. You know, it sounds like the TV people said it was a hamstring injury on air. Um, but I, and all Mike would say was that it was a tweak. And I asked Mike, I followed up and said, you know, was this something he was dealing with going into the game? And Mike hemmed and hawed, didn't say yes or no. But if you watch the video and see how he answered it, to me, it's pretty obvious. Yes, it was something he was dealing with going into the game. And my guess is it happened in the, at some point during that UCF game. And so you just wonder, one, it's to me more, it's, it's evidence to me of why he will not be back on the team next year because he'd be foolish not to turn pro given the injury risk at this point, given the year he's had. And if he continues to do what I think he'll do the next four or five games. But it's also, you know, speaks to, you know, this is why Patrick Taylor needs to be involved as well. Um, because I just not sure Daryl is at a point where he can carry and touch the ball 30, 35 times a game like he did against UCF. Right. And that was an anomaly. Obviously he's, you know, what, what was it before the season? He only carried the ball, touched the ball 20 times. What? Once, once in a game. Yeah. Yeah. And he's already done that twice. This- and you got to factor in he's on kickoff returns to Daryl and like they don't kick to Tony Pollard anymore. So a lot of times it's going to him. Yep. So he's touching the ball a lot. And I think, you know, like I said, it's probably a reason why I don't think he'll be back next year simply because I don't know how much more he could raise his stock next year coming back. And the injury to me, if I'm him, I'm thinking about, you know, what if I suffer an injury? So, and let's face it. If you, if you're projected as a decent mid-level round draft pick, there's something else that's a factor money. We're just throwing that out there. Yeah, It's not that much money, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do not expect if, if he comes back, it's like a cherry on top of the Sunday for Memphis. I would not, if I'm a fan, I'm not expecting him to come back. So, you know, set yourself up to be pleasantly surprised is what I would say um, about Daryl. But it, it, it's just interesting because they're four and four and really they haven't beaten anyone. 
They haven't beaten anyone. That that's what I think is what's you know what's concerning is that they're four and four, and yeah, they're like a few plays away from being you know really only the you know these they they could be six and two very easily, and they're so they're very like like when Mike and and. Kenny Dillingham say like they're really close to being a like a good team. I think they're right, but at the same time, they stay like they haven't beaten anyone. Like the combined record of the teams they've beaten is nine and nineteen, and the team with the best record, the only team with an above five hundred record right now is Mercer, who's an FCS team <laughs> who we saw and I you know looked awful in that first game. So that I think is, and so that's why I think the end how that you know ending this season with. Like that Houston game to me is really big in that, like that would actually be a decent team that you beat. Even if you beat SMU, which I think is going to be a tougher game than people give it credit for. Like it's still, I mean, SMU's three and four, they're still an under 500 team. And so if you go seven and five and don't have wins over like anyone of consequence, yeah, that's like, that's disheartening. And maybe you can salvage something with the bowl game and, you know, beat someone good in the bowl game. But it's just, it, it's why, you know, Mike's got to say he's he believes in this team, whatever, but it's why I'm skeptical. And honestly, it goes to something he also said this week where he's looking for leaders, you know, and I think. Which is re- when you told me that, I was like, we're eight weeks into the season. What, what are you doing looking for leaders? They, they, like they always say, like, you know, bad teams don't have any leadership. Average teams are led by their coaches and good teams are led by leaders on the team, like players. And what strikes me when he says that is this, I don't think this is a bad team, but it doesn't sound like a good team if no leaders have emerged. And that's crazy almost because we've talked about how they've looked out of sorts on the road. And you think on the road, that's where somebody gets these guys together and say, look, let's settle down. Let's do this here and there. Tulane, they certainly didn't have that. Missouri, they fought back and got into it. But once Missouri got ahead, it was like nothing was there. So I think if you want to look at why this team has been struggling on the road, that besides the obvious on the field stuff, that might be another reason. So it's interesting to me, though, that he would say that eight games in, like you said. I'm I was surprised to hear that. Yeah, it just it speaks to where this team's at. They're kind of in this, I don't know, no man's land sort of. Like like I said, they're not bad, and they're they're not far from being pretty good. But it's kind of like a no man's land, and now you're at four and four. It's 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 a feeling Memphis fans haven't felt for a while, and it. You know, it's interesting. It's an interesting dichotomy in that, you know, there are some who will say, well, guys, five years ago, four and four would have been fantastic. (laughs) But I think, you know, and I think they're right. Like we need to keep that in perspective of where this program is and where the, where the expectations have gotten, where four and four is really a disappointment and a bowl game, just making a bowl game is a disappointment. But at the same time, with the amount of money they're paying this coaching staff and where this, you know, like this program has positioned itself and it's sort of advertised itself as one of the best in the group of five. And, you know, so that's where the expectation should be there. I mean, Mike Norvell is being, I think he's the high, is he the highest, highest paid, paid group of he's five, the coach. highest paid group of five coach in the country. And so that's where the expectation should be. The amount of money the university is investing in the program, I think speaks to the fact that yes, five years ago, this would have been, great considering where the program is, but this isn't five years ago. They're not investing like they were five years ago. They're investing a lot more. And, and, this, is, and this isn't like a cute little Memphis team that, oh, we're just happy to be here. No, they've established themselves. So I don't blame people having high expectations because let's face it, 
you have a top 10 offense, people expect the team to be much better, but. Well, and that's, what's really concerning is that they have statistically, they look like a, they look much better than they are. Yeah. And that's what but, I want to, I want to know why they haven't been able, why, why don't the parts equal the whole, so to speak. And that's something I think they need to examine. And I think it's because situationally they've been a poor team, whether it's clock management, whether it's these fourth and ones, whether it's just getting key third downs, whether it's two minute drills, they've been poor. And I think that is why the parts don't equal the whole. And it's something that, you know, maybe not for this season, but for next year when, you know, you return everything basically, but the offensive line, that's something that these next four games, it's important at you as fans, keep an eye on those types of situations and see if this team is improved. Because I think it could one, obviously help them finish the year fast, but two, it could portend well for next year when there are going to be still be a lot of pieces back for the, in this puzzle. And maybe, you know, maybe you have better luck next year, so to speak, because they had, they've been unlucky and they, I, like I said, situationally, I think they've been poor and that reflects both on probably the lack of experience, you know, in terms of senior leadership, but I think it also reflects on the coaching staff as well. I would agree with that. And honestly, that's why I feel like as much as we talk about the players, obviously for me, the coaching staff's got to look in the mirror and figure out like, what do we do to fix this? Because again, I, I, I keep going back to Chris ball, like his defense did a great job forcing turnovers the last two seasons. All I heard about when I got here was they gave up a lot of yards, but they forced turnovers. Now they're not. And I think they have to figure that out. Cause again, like you said, eight starters back guys who are not progressed as much. That's a big issue. And offensively, what do they do with this offense? That's supposed that's putting up numbers, but hasn't put up numbers in games. It looks like a team that's moving the ball downfield. Yeah. It'll be fascinating to see what Mike decides to do after the season, if it say, if it ends seven and five with a bowl loss, again, seven and six, like, does he make changes? I mean, Chris ball is like his closest friend on the staff. And so, but obviously, you know, this isn't friendship, this is business. And I'll be fascinated. Like, I think this is a crucial four game stretch for some of, you know, for Chris ball, especially um, to show that what he is implementing and what he strategically, what he is trying to accomplish on the field is getting through to these players injuries or no injuries. I think, you know, we need to see this defense play better, you know, cause offensively, yes, they haven't been quite as good as the past couple years, but they've still been okay. Like they haven't, you know, statistically they're putting up numbers. There's been some situations. And like we said, Brady in some games hasn't played well, but overall it hasn't been bad. It's been fine. You know, we just have come to expect great, out of this offense the past couple years. But like I said before the season with a first year starting quarterback, these ups and downs happen. You'd like to see some more ups as now that we're in the stretch run of the season. Let's see this team hit its stride these last four games. And I remember you told me that two years ago is kind of what happened to that Memphis team. After the eighth game, they got blown out by Tulsa at home. It was similar. They also lost three or four that year. They did. Just like Mike Norvell's first year, they lost three or four, just like they've lost three or four this year. They did. And so I'm thinking, hey, that was their kind of kickstart to kind of kick things going. And then they closed the year with a big win over Houston. Could history, could history repeat itself? We shall see. Well, uh, we're going to enjoy the rest of the bye week 
Hopefully you guys do too. Um, we'll be back next week to preview uh, Memphis's trip to East Carolina, good old Greenville. Um, but till then, I was Mark. This was Evan. Thanks for joining us and uh, have some fun this weekend. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.